Well, hey everybody, welcome to The Crossing today. So glad that you're here as we're counting down the days to Christmas. Also want to welcome all those who are joining us, but this is an exciting day for us because today The Crossing Midtown is launching, which is pretty amazing. As of just a few days ago, we thought that it was going to be impossible to get everything done and all the inspections done to open today, but just a lot of people jumping in to make this happen. God just opening some doors for us. And so I just want to give a shout out to everybody at the Crossing Midtown, to Nate and Jake for leading this out. Our hundreds of volunteers have been working hours and hours to pull this off. And to everybody who walked through the door for the first time to a crossing location, we built that place for you. So can we give them just a great big hand and all those who are joining us? It's a special day here for us at The Crossing. But before we jump in, I want to tell you about a few things. That throughout the month of December, we are receiving our Christmas offering. Now, this is something that we do every year, um, not only to strengthen our ministries here at The Crossing so that we're on good footing as we head into the new year, but also to bless some ministry partners. And so this year, we have three focuses of our Christmas offering. It is crisis relief, church planting, and campus expansion. And the first part of this is our crisis relief. And our partner is Convoy of Hope. And whenever there is a natural disaster, there is a hurricane, a tornado, a flood, that the next day they have a semi-truck trailer on site with emergency food and medical supplies. And so we've committed to provide them an industrial kitchen trailer. You can see the picture of it right here. This is to feed those who have lost their homes in that immediate need and also to help feed the first responder. So part of the Christmas offering is going to go to crisis relief. The second is going to go to church planting. And last week, we introduced you to our church planters in New York City, Russell and Katie Rader, that they are uniquely equipped to reach Manhattan, New York for the Lord. One of, our, one of our passions is we just have a heart for reaching the most influential cities of the world. And so we've committed $125,000 over the next three years to help get this brand new church plant in New York City off of the ground. And then the third um, focus of our offering is, is for our campus expansion and improvements here on our campus. That so Our campus here is 14 years old, and it's just time for us to upgrade and to improve some things. And one of the areas is that we want to upgrade some courtyard and outdoor spaces, and we'll do that as money becomes available. So here is my ask for you, that if you call the crossing home, would you consider making a year-end gift of some kind? Now, many of you, you've been doing this for years. You've been supporting the, the causes of Christ here at the Crossing for years. This is just part of your normal routine. But for some of you, this will be your first opportunity that you have to give to the purposes of Jesus here. And so we receive the, the Christmas offering through the month of December. 
And then here's the last thing, is that we are two weeks away from our Christmas services, that we have 14 identical services at our four locations, and we have seven services here at the Windmill Campus. We have two starting on Sunday the 22nd at 9 and 11, Monday night at 6 p.m., and then Tuesday, Christmas Eve at 1, 3, 5, and 7 p.m. And so we have a fantastic service plan for you. And I hope you're thinking about who you're going to invite. This is your easiest inviting opportunity of the year. That people are looking for some place to go to church at Christmas. So invite them. Do not come alone. Take one of those invites. Tell them what service you're going to be at. And invite them to come and sit with you. And we're just going to have a great, great service as we celebrate the birth of Jesus together. Well, Darla and I have lived in Las Vegas for over 25 years, but we're both from the Midwest, and so most of our family still lives there. So every Christmas meant for us hopping on an airplane to be with family. The only problem is as a pastor, Christmas is the busiest week of the year. So for years, we would have Christmas Eve services all day long, We would go home exhausted. We would get our young kids up on Christmas morning and head to the airport to catch a flight home. And we have some great memories of those years. But whenever you put 25 or 30 people in one house together for a week, there is bound to be some tensions and fights and arguments. You know, one family wants everybody in the house to be quiet because their kid is taking a nap. You know, another family is mad because their kid is being picked on by somebody else's kid. And then the adults feel judged because of their parenting style, because some people think they're too strict or they think that they're too lenient, or they can't believe the way that, they, that you spend your money because that's not the way that they would spend their money. I mean, let's all sing together. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Isn't that true? But for some of you, for some of you, you wished it were that easy. Because Christmas for you means that you have to choose one family over another family because these people cannot be in the same room together. And no matter who you choose to spend Christmas with, someone is going to be mad at you. The thing that creates so much tension around Christmas is Christmas exaggerates all the bad. We're reminded of the problems that we can't solve, the people that we can't control, the expectations that we can't meet. But at the same time, Christmas is so wonderful because it points to what Jesus came to do for us. It points to something that is so wonderful in our lives. And so today, we're going to continue our Reconciled series. We started last week talking about reconciliation between us and God. And today, we're going to talk about being reconciled with each other. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. But to fully understand the significance of this passage we're going to look at today, we need to rewind 2,000 years before the life of Christ. 2,000 years before Jesus was born, God called Abraham. And he said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. You will be famous. And the entire world will be blessed through your family. Your descendants 
will be as great as the stars and the sky and the sands on the seashore. The only problem is when God makes this promise, Abraham is 75 years old and his wife is 65 years old, not exactly the childbearing age. Well, 25 years later, God finally fulfills his promise. When Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90 years old, God brings them a son by the name of Isaac. And Isaac grows up and he has a son by the name of Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons, but his favorite son is Joseph. Now, parents are not supposed to have favorites, but Jacob does. Now, whenever I want my kids to do something for me, I just tell them, remember, you're my favorite. <laughs> but Joseph really was Jacob's favorite. And the other 11 brothers hated him so much that they wanted to kill him. So one day they plotted to kill him, but instead they sold him as a slave to Egypt. And they went home and they told their dad that he had been killed by wild animals. And through a series of events that only God could orchestrate, Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt. He becomes the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation in the world. And he's tasked with preparing for a severe famine that would come. Well, years later, when the famine hits the world, Joseph rescues his family, and he brings them to Egypt to save them from the family, which is how the children of Israel ended up in Egypt. Now, fast forward 400 years, and Joseph is no longer in power, and the children of Israel have grown to about a million people, and they are slaves to the Egyptians, and they are crying out to God for God to rescue them. And finally, God raises up Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. See, Egypt represented this place of slavery and bondage. But God is going to use this place of slavery and bondage to represent a place of refuge and reconciliation. Now, with all that as the background, let's go to our story, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13 says this. It says, when they had gone, talking about the Magi, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, the border of Egypt is only about 75 miles away from where they are, but it is out of the reach of Herod. And there's other Jews that live in Egypt at this point, and so they could have easily found this Jewish community to help take them in. And they would have used the gifts of the Magi, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, to pay for their trip and to pay for their expenses in Egypt. At this point, Jesus is probably somewhere between one and two years old. It goes on, it says, So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now this is a prophecy that comes out of the Old Testament book of Hosea. And God is referring to the nation of Israel in this prophecy, that Israel is like a chosen son. And he calls them out of slavery into this new land, 
But now the scripture shows us this deeper meaning. The deliverance used to be a nation. Deliverance used to be the nation of Israel. And now deliverance is a person. It is Jesus. But I want you to kind of put yourself in this story for a minute. Can you imagine the fear and the stress that Joseph must have felt? The burden that he felt to try to protect his family. And so he wakes up Mary in the middle of the night and he tells her, you need to get Jesus awake. You need to get him ready. Get all of our things together because we are leaving right now. We're going to leave in the middle of the night before anyone knows that we're gone. Said when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. See, it's hard to even read this part of the Christmas story. Bethlehem was a small town, so this probably represented less than 20 children, but profoundly painful for these parents. Sometimes we forget that the first Christmas was a time of mourning and violence and terror. And we watch the violence that is going on in our country. It seems like every day there is another shooting. Every day there is another killing. Every day there is violence that is happening. And sometimes we forget that in a sense, violence and terrorism have been around for thousands of years. And it was into this world that Jesus came. And the prophecy about Jesus is that he would be the prince of peace. That he came to bring reconciliation to people. It goes on and it says, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Well, I, I want to show you just a map so you can just get a picture of this. Judea is the southern part of Israel. This is where Jerusalem is, and Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. This is where Jesus grew up. Now, Archelaus, who was the son of King Herod, he was a brutal dictator just like his father. When he became king, he killed 3,000 people in the temple who questioned his leadership. And in Herod's will, in Herod's will, he stated that Archelaus was to rule in Galilee, and he had another son by the name of Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas was to rule in Judea. But on his deathbed, he changed his mind, and he switched it. And he sent Archelaus to Judea, which is where Jerusalem is in the southern part. And Herod Antipas would go to the Galilee region, which would be the fulfillment of another scripture. It says, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the, dist to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what 
was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Now you read this Christmas account right here, and you have more questions than you do answers. Because you would have never written the Christmas story like that, which I think is exactly the point. Because my guess is your life is not comfortable and trouble-free. See, we have these images of the perfect Christmas, don't we? The, the, the perfect Christmas is we're sitting by the fireplace. All of the gifts are all wrapped. They're under the tree. We're sipping our hot chocolate. We're listening to Christmas music, and everybody is getting along. And that's your dream because it's a fantasy. It is not going to happen. But not even the first Christmas was like that. The first Christmas was full of stress and worry and conflict and pain. And it was into this world that Jesus came to bring reconciliation. See, here's what you need to realize, is that Christmas is all about reconciliation. We talked about this last week, that it's reconciliation between God and us. It is the good news that brought great joy, that Jesus came to bring up there, down here. He came to reconcile us with God. Think about the Bible. Now, some of you think that the Bible is a book. It is not a book. The Bible is actually a collection of 66 books. It was written in three different languages by 40 different authors, most of which who never met each other. And it was written over a period of about 1,500 years. But it tells one story. Now, if you're a Star Wars fan, you know that Episode 9 comes out this next week. And if you've seen all the other eight episodes, what you know about episode nine is it doesn't stand on itself. Those nine episodes, they tell one continuous story. The Bible tells one continuous story. And the story can be summed up in this one sentence. It is how God worked in history to reconcile the relationship with broken people like us. Or let me just... Let me just simplify it into one word. The story of the Bible is reconciliation. And is this reconciliation that happens only through Jesus. But that reconciliation isn't just about us and God. It's about us and the people around us. Jesus made it very clear. It is impossible to love God if you don't love the people that God created. The last verse in the Old Testament. It'll be the last time that God speaks for 400 years. God would be silent for 400 years until Jesus arrives. And the very last verse is a prophecy that says, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. It is reconciliation. See, that's God's that is God's will for you and for me. So let me just give you a couple applications based on this story right here. And here's the first application, is that God can use every trial and hardship for his purposes. That God can use every trial and hardship that you face in your life for his purposes. They can have a bigger meaning. Now, we romanticize the story of Mary and Joseph. We have all the nativity and everything comes together. 
But think about the reality of Mary and Joseph. Mary is nine months pregnant, and she has to travel to Bethlehem for the census. Now, we assume she rode a donkey because surely she would not have walked the 80 miles that she would have had to travel. And on top of that, it was a huge scandal that she's pregnant out of wedlock, and who is ever going to believe her story? In fact, for 33 years, people whispered behind her back that she was an adulteress. And then, think about the babies that were murdered. Think about all of these babies that were murdered, and she took Jesus to Egypt to keep him from being murdered, and these babies were murdered because they were trying to kill her son. Can you imagine carrying that kind of burden the rest of your life? It wasn't this silent night, all is calm, all is bright. It was fear and grief and stress and confusion. But here is the power of God that he uses all of those things for his purposes, and he does the same thing in your life as well. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, have been called according to his purposes. Now, it doesn't say that all things are good because we know that that's not true. He says in all things, God works for the good. But this promise right here, this promise is not for everyone. This promise is for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. That God brings purpose in all that, that God can use every trial and every hardship in your life for his purposes. Here's second application is God may send you back to the place that he delivered you from. God may send you back to the place that he has rescued you from. See, God would send Jesus to Egypt, a place of bondage and slavery for the children of Israel, but a place that God would deliver his people. And it is the symbolism that Jesus is the greatest deliverer of all time. For some of you, Part of the power of your life is you have a story of deliverance. That God intervened into the details of your life and he rescued you. For some of you, he rescued you from addictions and you're finally free. He rescued you from destructive relationships. He rescued you from an affair that you got involved in from a financial crisis, from a sin that was a stronghold in your life. And sometimes God just rescues us. But there's other times that God rescues us and then sends us back because now we are uniquely equipped to help those people who are going through the same thing that we have been through. Look what it says here in 2 Corinthians. It says, praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. See, this is, this is what God does, is God 
comforts us. He gets us through that. And then he uses us to help other people coming behind us. And then for some of you, for some of you, God will send you back for reconciliation. Maybe he's calling you to make some amends. Maybe he's calling you to ask for forgiveness. Maybe he's calling you to go back to offer forgiveness, to pay back something that you have taken, to make something right. Now, there's times where it's not wise or appropriate to go back into those situations. But there may be a time where God sends you back to seek reconciliation with somebody that's had a broken relationship with you. Look what it says here in 2 Corinthians what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, that he sent Jesus not only as a baby in a manger, but a man who died on the cross. God reconciled us and now he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He says all of this, what he's just talked about is you were made new in Jesus Christ because you're made new in Jesus Christ. You are now given this ministry of reconciliation. This is so powerful because the word reconciled means to make things right, that God made things right with you through Jesus. And now he's given you the ministry of reconciliation. It's now your job to make things right with one another. See, I cannot say, God, I want to accept your gift of reconciliation with me, but I don't want to seek reconciliation with somebody else. God, I want to take it from you, but I don't want to give it to them. It doesn't work like that. The way of envy, the way of resentment it has been tried, and it always leads to death. So this Christmas, who is God calling you to reconcile with or to at least seek reconciliation? Maybe it's your brother or sister. And maybe you have a story and you're right. Maybe God's calling you to the ministry of reconciliation. Maybe it's your mom or your dad. Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Maybe it's your ex. Maybe it's somebody at school. And God is just nudging you. It's time for reconciliation. It's time to make things right. And so I want to pray with you. This is just a tender time of year. And I want to give God an opportunity to speak to you. I want to give God an opportunity to speak to you in these next few moments. And so I just want to lead you in prayer. So I just want to ask that if you're willing just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're just going to let God speak into us. And as you look back over the recent weeks or months or even years, is there a person that God is bringing to your mind? 
Who is that person? What's their name? What is your greatest concern? Your fear or your hope? What do you want to see God do in that relationship? I want you to ask God for that right now. I'm going to give you just a minute. With that person, what do you want God to do? Ask him right now. Finally, I want you to take a moment to express your willingness to God. That you'll do what he's prompting you to do. Like I said before, it may not be appropriate for you to try to seek reconciliation because of something that they have done. But for many of you, it is time. And it may be that there is a step that you need to take towards that person. That maybe God is prompting you to call them, to write them a note, to send them an email, to go to their home. See, Christmas, it's about reconciliation. So right now, I want you to take a moment to just express your willingness to God, to say, God, I'm ready to do whatever you call me to do. God, this is such a tender time of year. And this brings up so many emotions. It exaggerates all the bad in our life. Relationships that will never be completely right. But God, we just want to listen to you. And just to hear from you, to see if there's a step of reconciliation that you're prompting us to make. Because this is what Christmas is about. Christmas is about reconciliation. It came through Jesus to reconcile us back to you. And now you've given us the ministry of reconciliation. To not only draw people towards you, but to repair that relationship with us. So God, we're willing. We submit to what you would want in our life. And we pray this in the name of the Prince of Peace, the name of Jesus. Amen.